that's coming up August 29th, and uh, that'll be here shortly. But I do want to um, just kind of transition a little bit, and we have an opportunity every other week to hear somebody's story. And I was listening to a preacher earlier in the week, and he talked about things that, that are little. And uh, those things that are little change and transform lives. Uh, you think of David and Goliath, and he took that little stone. And what did that little stone do? It killed Goliath, and it was crazy. Uh, you got uh, a guy who's running from Jezebel, and what does he do? He takes a little bird and brings some little food to him, and he, he's able to eat that. And uh, it's such an amazing thing to keep him alive. And, and he takes the little things in the world uh, to, to transform lives. And uh, we get a chance tonight to hear um, one person and uh, her story and how God reached into her life and changed her life and, and what he's doing in her life now. So will you guys please, I'm not going to say she's little, but I'll adjust the mic. Don't worry. Um, so uh, we, we're going to invite Rocky to come up to the stage now. You guys welcome Rocky. know better. Come on, everybody knows my sister. Don't listen to her. Gosh. Well, hello, everybody. My name's Rocky. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ and in recovery for codependency and anger. Hi. Uh, let, me, let me pray first, please. Oh, let's see. Father God, I just want to pray for um, this virus is crazy, and I just want to say a prayer for the ones who um, are not comfortable coming here, but I just pray to God that they at least get on the sites and just don't kick CR to the side because we all need it, whether we're all here or at home. Um, just let them know, even though they're not in our site, we're still there for them and they can still reach out and just don't let them be alone. Yeah, so just, just protect everybody. In your name I pray, amen. Okay. Let me start by saying that in no way am I trying to lay blame for my mistakes in life. This is just my story on how I got here. I was born in Oakdale, the third of four children. I, rec I can recall very few memories of my family being together before my parents divorced when I was seven. Sadly, the thing I remember the most is not remembering hugs or I love you from my parents. After my parents divorced, I was pretty much raised by my older sister, Michelle because my mom was always working. I would stay with my dad on the weekends, but that became farther apart. When I was in third grade, my siblings and I moved to series with my mom. This is when I remember things really started to change in my life. My older brother and sister started bringing their friends over to our house <clears throat> when my mom wasn't home, which was often. This is when I first saw what drugs were all about, and I wanted no part of it. I can remember taking my younger sister, Shaney, into our bedroom until they left. At this time, my mom was actively dating, and that robbed me of time with her, and resentment began to set in. When I was in fourth grade, we moved again from Ceres to Modesto. Different house, but with the same patterns. My older siblings quickly made friends with our neighbors. Again, my mom was hardly around. When she wasn't working nights, she would spend a lot of time at the bars. I can remember numerous nights that my older siblings would drag my younger sister and I with them down to the park to meet up with their friends so they could smoke and drink. 
Even I knew what was going on was wrong. I never told or complained, but because it was time spent with my sister, Michelle, who showed me love that I wasn't receiving from my parents. She would also give hugs and I love yous to us, which I desperately wanted and needed. As my mom changed boyfriends, the fallout would often be that we had once again moved. So we moved to airport district and things only got worse. The same friends of my siblings would show up, but there were some new faces. These friends would give me a very uneasy feeling and I felt the need to protect my younger sister even more. I remember one night they took my pet rat that I loved and blew marijuana smoke in its face and then placed it on the stereo turntable on high speed. That night, I took Shaney into our bedroom and locked the door until morning. I think this is where my fear and anger issues began to really escalate as I lost control over them and I couldn't find a way to make them stop. This would become a pattern. When I was in sixth grade, we moved to Oakdale, but without my older siblings. My mom had another new boyfriend that my siblings didn't get along with, so they moved in with my dad. I remember thinking things would be better because there would be no more partying, but on the flip side, I missed the mother figure I had in my older sister. My expectations were not met as things did not improve. My mom spent a lot of time in Modesto, which left me and Shaney alone. I think my sis would agree that our best adventures in this house were going down the street to 7-Eleven and getting Slurpee and candy. <laughs> When school started up, we still attended our Modesto school. Mom would drop us off at her boyfriend's house early in the morning, and we could walk to school with his daughter. Before long, we moved back to Modesto. My mom's relationships were very rocky, and the ups and downs were unpredictable. I began liking the times when they were down with her boyfriends because that meant I got to see my mom more. One day, one day, my life would change forever. I heard the phone ring, and I could tell something was terribly wrong. My older sister, Michelle, who was 15, had been living with my dad, had died in a car accident. Good thing for Kleenexes. <laughs> In that moment, <clears throat> I not only lost my sister, but also the person who had always provided the most consistent love in my ever-changing, crazy childhood. This sent me into a really overprotective mode with my younger sister, because I knew I couldn't lose her too. When Michelle died, my mom checked out. My sister and I were so often alone, now found ourselves even more alone emotionally. We lived on our own because mom spent the majority, the majority of her time at her boyfriend's. There was a time she actually took the house phone with her so that we wouldn't bother her. One night we were home alone and a man broke in. I can still see his face and fear the terror I felt. By God's design, we, say, we were saved because we had a dog and she woke us up with her barking. I grabbed my sister from the top bunk, and we hid between our bed and the wall all night. When I told my mom when she got home, she didn't even believe me. My anger it just kept escalating. It was harder and harder to hide and control. Because I felt I had no control over anything, 
and I had nobody to stand up for me anymore. I was forced to protect myself. Anger became my defense. This only began to get me into more and more trouble. I used my anger to keep people away, and my aggressions put me in school office a lot. I only punched someone once, and I regret that. She didn't deserve it, and I never meant to hurt anyone. I just needed someone to understand me and my pain. I began letting my anger out by punching lockers at schools and, wa and walls, and yes, even a cement floor. That's how smart I was, yet anger has no IQ. My thought process was if I hit something to make my hand hurt, it would take my mind off the real issue long enough to shove it under the rug with the rest of my garbage. My mom would eventually marry her boyfriend, and even though it felt like we finally have a, had a family and that maybe no drugs would no longer be around, but I was very quickly saw that the drug use was replaced with alcohol. At first, they would go to bars, but that slowed up once we put a keg in our own backyard. There were many times that my stepdad would get drunk and then become physically abusive towards my mom, and it was often right in front of us. The worst I remember is when he threw her into the door and split her chin open. I ran next door to get help, but when I got home, I got in trouble with my mom for doing so. It made no sense to me why she was so angry for me trying to protect her. I now know that was her codependency. When my stepdad was drinking, we had to walk on pins and needles and try to be invisible because you never knew what was going to trigger him. To this day, I still can't stand the smell of beer or drugs. They trigger only bad memories for me. In seventh grade, I met the boy down the street. Joe was an only child, and he would hang out a lot with our neighbor kids. It wasn't long before my sister and I would join in. We would spend countless hours playing basketball and just hanging out. Every once in a while, we would go down to Joe's house to hang out, and I couldn't believe how fun his parents were with no alcohol or drugs. It just seemed like how a family was supposed to be. We started spending more and more time down there, and eventually Joe would become my first boyfriend. When I was around 15, my parents' drinking was getting more and more destructive. One day, I upset my grand, uh, my grandfather. <laughs> I upset my stepdad over something while we were in the kitchen, and he got so mad that he grabbed an egg and was going to throw it at me. For some reason, he stopped, but it put the fear in me. All I could think about after that was when would it be my turn for him to take his physical aggressions out on? I couldn't just sit around and wait for that day, so I decided to run away to my dad's. Shortly after this, to my joy, my sister also moved in with my dad. To this day, it, to this day, it hurts when I realize how abandoned and alone I felt when my sister passed away. And in that moment of fear, I did the same thing to Shaney. left her alone with the terror. I've always felt guilt that I should have stayed and protected her. I've always felt responsibility that she headed down the wrong road after I left.
Joe and I dated on and off through high school and were married my senior year. In my mind, this was going to be the family life I'd always wanted. I had to learn the hard way to be careful what you wish for because the grass isn't always greener on the other side. Don't get me wrong, because there was a lot of good times in my marriage. I got to travel and do things I never thought I'd do. I learned to ride dirt bikes, street bikes, and even learned to drag race the car. But as I look back now, this was all a pattern of the materialistic life I was living. Little by little, Joe was turning me into exactly who he wanted me to be. When we first married, we lived in a cute one-bedroom house. Then our daughter Lacey came along. Joe would take Lacey and I to his parents' house on our way to work. After work, we would eat his, at his parents' house before going home. This became a regular routine, and my life was revolving around his family so much that I no longer had much contact with my own. Soon after we married, we moved in with his parents who had bought some property at Peaches, and it was too much for them to keep up. And so, Joe being the only child, he felt it was his responsibility to help them out. This meant the only times I could con ugh, would connect with my family were holidays. When they reached out to us, Joe always found an excuse why I couldn't go. My childhood experience of turmoil and instability created by constant moves continued as we moved with the seasons throughout my marriage back and forth between Oregon and Modesto. I never once was asked my opinion about our moves. If Joe's dad decided to move, we followed. Few times when Joe and I were able to have a place of our own and not live on the same property as his parents, it felt as though I actually began to have an identity and a little family of my own. Yet sadly, this only happened four times for short periods over our 22 years of marriage. It still makes me sad as I look back. Date nights, those never happened, and our anniversaries were always celebrated with the whole family. During one of the times that we lived in Oregon, a cousin of Joe's found out that she was pregnant. Joe's dad, as he always would state, that as for him, he would never bring a child into this world as messed up as it is. This was meaningful because Joe and I had always talked about having two kids, and I took his dad's comment as another way of him calling the shots in my life. In response, I got pregnant on purpose, and man, did it hit the roof. Joe was pleased behind closed doors, but his dad went ballistic. Joe and his dad decided that I needed to abort this baby, and if I refused, I could move back to California with my family. And it made clear that if I chose to move, I was not allowed to take Lacey with me. I, had, I held my ground long enough that they backed off. We soon all moved back once again to California, and my second daughter, Donna, was born. This is when the threat of, if you don't like it, there's the door began to be used to control me. I was told, what are you going to do? You don't have a diploma to get a job, no money. The threats of what they would do if I tried to leave with my girls was horrible, but I believed them, and so they got their way. I know I keep saying they, and that's because somehow I didn't just have a husband, but a family that ruled over me. Joe had lost any sense of himself and did whatever his dad said because he knew not to go against him and make him mad. Fast forward many years because nothing changed in this life struggle. When my girls were teenagers, Joe had even stopped going with the girls and I to do family at my family's house for the holidays because of a falling out that he had with my stepdad. The girls and I would go alone, but I had to watch the clock to make sure we didn't stay past the time I was given. If I went over the time, I would get the silent treatment for a couple of days after. 
My phone calls started to be monitored, especially with my sis. He drilled me after each call with, why did she call? What did you tell her? I think he realized that I was coming to the end of my rope and just maybe someone would talk some sense in me. When it came to girlfriends, well, I really didn't have any. My friends consisted of the wives or girlfriends of Joe's friends. I never once got to go out with the girls to shop or have lunch. Hanging out with them was only in group settings. As my girls got older and started having dances at school and boyfriends, I was never involved in any decisions decisions made with their activities. I had absolutely no voice for my life anymore. When it came to food, it was ridiculous. If Joe's dad didn't like it, then you didn't make it. And if you made something he'd like, you better make it right. Apparently, you can fry potatoes wrong, who knew? The worst incident was when I made macaroni and cheese and it was not up to Joe's standard. I'm not joking, it turned into a heated argument where he was nose to nose with me. At bedtime, my girls would ask me why their dad gets so angry, and I was running out of excuses for him. I never talked badly about their dad to them, but they were getting old enough to form their own opinions. In 2006, I finally reached my breaking point. My oldest daughter, Lacey, was getting married, and everything seemed to be going well. My soon-to-be son-in-law met Joe and his dad, yes, his dad, at Starbucks so, they could ask, so he could ask them if he could marry Lacey. They said yes, and all was good. They liked Dennis, we all did, and we, he treated my daughter right. He still does. Yet when it came to planning the wedding, it all began to turn horribly wrong when it wasn't exactly how Joe and his dad wanted. So long story short, Dennis was at the house, and there was a disagreement that turned into a fight. Dennis left with Lacey, and she was never again talk, has never again talked with her dad to this day. I was downstairs at the time and had no clue what was going on. My world stopped that day as Joe and his dad ceased to allow me to contact Lacey in any way. After a while, they allowed Lacey to come get her stuff, but, with not, but not without their verbal attacks that I couldn't protect her from. The wedding plans continued, and I was invited to the bridal shower. I wasn't surprised when I was told I couldn't go, but I had finally had it. I stood my ground and said, yes, I am going to my daughter's wedding shower. I can remember it like yesterday. As I was getting ready to leave, my mother-in-law came out to the car and told me that the guys had planned on finding me a new place to move to if, if I went. I was done. That was fine with me, so I went. When I came back, we didn't go looking for places, and we decided it was time to negotiate on the wedding stuff. I could go to the wedding, but couldn't stay for the reception, and I wasn't allowed to go to any more pre-wedding things. At first, I began to negotiate this insanity, and stress was taking a huge toll. I couldn't keep my blood sugar levels where they should be, which made me sick, and I had constant headaches. My weight kept dropping because I couldn't eat. Yes, I even got lectured for that and was told to just snap out of it. Then the day came where I found my voice and I and, uh, <laughs> told him that I would have time with Lacey on planning her wedding. His reply was, if you do, there's the door. Well, after 22 years of hell, I walked out the door with no intentions of looking back without major changes. Two weeks later, Joe filed for divorce. Joe and his dad made sure that I signed over the car, motorcycle titles, and deed to the house. At this time, I didn't care. I just wanted out as quickly as possible. My daughter was worth more than all the wealth combined. When my daughter's wedding came, I was able to walk her down the aisle, something that I'll cherish forever. Of course, there was 
to be one final weakness. After a year later, Joe contacted me and told me he wanted us to try again to make it work. I foolishly agreed because, honestly, I was really struggling. I had never known anything but Joe and that dysfunctional lifestyle, and my codependent addiction to the sickness pulled me back to the comfort of the insanity. I was still a few years <clears throat> from hearing and coming to understand the truth that if nothing changes, nothing changes. So like a moth to a flame, we found ourselves living up north, back on his parents' property, and immediately the old patterns and rules started again. My daughter Lacey was pregnant, and I was told that I couldn't come down for the birth of my grandchild. The same, pat the same pattern of stress, not eating, and weight loss began as my weight dropped to 89 pounds. This time, it did not take me nearly as long to wake up, and I quickly left and moved back home with my sis. <laughs> Looking back, I still often can feel the guilt from feeling like I felt as a mom to my girls. I had vow vowed that when I had children of my own, they would never live in a house of drugs, alcohol, and abuse. I may have kept that vow, but instead I allowed them to live in a house of mental abuse and manipulation. I also made sure to tell my girls that I loved them and gave them lots of hugs, even when they didn't want one. But I didn't give them what they really needed, a mom that stood up for them. Today my girls have their own families, and I'm so proud of them for stopping the cycle of fear and manipulation. When I moved back home, my family was attending church at Big Valley Grace, so I joined them. Wouldn't you know that the sermon the first night was on divorce? I just knew that my sis had set me up. I truly felt that God was working in my life from that day on. Within weeks of moving back, I was blessed in finding the job. Then I enrolled in classes to get my GED. With the help of my nephew, Ty, who was my very patient tutor, I actually got to walk the stage and receive my GED. I was... <laughs> <laughs> I was achieving things that for years I was told I could never do and that just made me push harder to prove to myself that I didn't need anybody's help to get me where I wanted to be well that only got me so far because even though from the outside it looked like I was doing well my insides were still full of so many emotions that I didn't know how to deal with and so of course I fell back on my primary defense anger and it came out on the people that I loved the most Spiritually, I had always believed there was a God, yet I never attended church as a kid or even as an adult to learn more about who our God was. I never doubted that God was with me through all my ups and downs, but having a hard time understanding why he had me go through all these difficult things. My response was guilt, as I felt I had must have let God down by going through my divorce. Honestly, I let myself down because I always believed that you only get married once. Yet the more I attended church, the more I came to understand who our God truly is. I discover he is gracious, loving God who forgives us of our sins. He now gives me hope and strength that I need to face each day that I'm given. It was here in 2011 I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior and soon baptized right here alongside my mom. Not only had Jesus given me new life, but he had also started the healing process in my relationship with my mom. In 2013, I started coming to CR to help support my brother-in-law, Sam. But again, I now know God set the path just for me. In those early days, just like so many, I didn't think I belonged here. I was only here to support Sam. It was, it was sure CR was not a place for me because I wasn't addicted to drugs or alcohol. I soon saw all the groups available to people who needed help, and one day I picked up a brochure 
As I read the brochure and the definition of codependency and anger, I thought, wow, that's so me, and had a moment that broke through my denial, and that is when my own recovery actually began. It took me a few weeks for my sister's constant urgent for me to get up enough nerve to go to small group. Again, I had the same thought, that this is not for me. I don't belong here. And that if I were to share my story, people would think I'm crazy for ever allowing my life to be so controlled. Well, one night, this lady, whom I've never seen again, shared about how she couldn't even shop for food she liked because her husband didn't like it. In that moment, as she shared a story that I had always believed was totally unique to my own insanity, I found myself saying, wow, me too. I belong here. It isn't just me that has lived that crazy life. Sadly, I'd never seen her again, but God used her that day, and I know that God put her there to show me that it's going to be okay and that I'm not alone in this. From that point on, I started to open up, and the more I did, the more I saw that I needed more than just small group. In 2014, I got into my first step study. Brian freaked out was an understatement. Who knew that I had a lot more issues than the ones that, I came, that had came from my marriage? By the time I finished my step study, I was able to mend a lot of relationships, but most importantly with my mom. That study showed me that I was not alone. We all have baggage, yes, even our parents. I now know, I'm now able to look at others differently and not judge, but rather pray that they too can come to peace with their hurts, hangups, and habits. Jesus put it this way, judge, <coughs> judge not that you be, you, oh my goodness, you be not judged. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly, clearly and take the speck out of your brother's eye. I have learned so much about how only God can restore what is broken and change it into something amazing. All you need is faith. He promises, I will restore you in all the years of the swimming locusts have eaten. My fourth step was the hardest. Yeah, as most things in life, it was also most rewarding. As I was doing my inventory, I saw all that had been pushing under the rug for so many years. This was difficult, yet it revealed why and how I had become the person I saw in the mirror and that, that had no ability to say no and stand up for herself. A tenth step daily inventory will forever be a part of my life. I no longer allow the past to produce regrets because through my recovery, I have found that the good things along with the bads have made me who I am today. And I can honestly say that I like the person that I see in the mirror today. For me, given where I once was is a miracle. Today, I'm still working on my confidence and standing up for myself. Yet I have come so far and today through Jesus in the steps I have found the ability to say no, which is a miracle given my past. Me standing here telling you my story is a miracle as well. Today I fully realize that as a human, I am far from perfect, but I also know that I am on the road where God wants me to be. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Proverbs 3, 5, 6. That onion that everyone in recovery talks about, yes, it does exist. It's just, I just finished my fourth step study, three of which I helped co-facilitate. It's in those layers of onion that keeps me in these step studies because it's true that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And I now know there will always be things my loving God wants me to work on. Even as I sit here writing this testimony, even more layers are being pulled back. So yes, there will be more work to be done, yet given the benefits, why would I stop? So there will be another step study for me. I know some of you are sitting here thinking, no way, why would anyone want to do that? Trust me, I thought the same thing. 
This is how I explain it, and you guys may not get it. It's like childbirth. It's the, one of the scariest and hardest things you'll ever do. But in the end, you'll receive this precious gift, a new beginning from God. I want to thank my family for sticking beside me, even though I pushed all of you away for so many years during my marriage. <sighs> thank you so much for never saying I told you so, but instead showing me unconditional love. Shani, my sis, I wouldn't have never made it this far without you. Thanks for being the best little sis ever. To my sponsor, Connie, thank you for all the deadlines and constant encouragement to finish my testimony. Thank you as well for gently, consistently pushing me out of my comfort zone, which has kept me mostly on track and growing on both my emotional recovery and my, and even more importantly, in my faith in the Lord. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please God because those that come to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Today, he is true to his promises, as of course he is, and I have a strong faith and continue my journey of earnestly seeking him through the steps. As I do the rewards, he promises, his promises are so evident in my life and his victories. To the newcomer and everyone here, I urge you to not continue any longer allowing your past to continue to, to, to control your future. That's who you were. That's not who you are. We are new creations in Christ Jesus. Behold, the old has gone and the new has come. 2 Corinthians 5.7 Keep coming back because here you will find the faith to let go and let God, and you too will experience his great plan that he has for each of us. As I close, anyone who knows me knows how the palm footprints is such a big part of my life. Let me read a part of it to you, and hopefully you can relate to it and find comfort. My precious child, I, ne I never left you during your times of trials where you see only one set of footprints. It was then that I carried you. Thank you so much for letting me share. There's no doubt that's not a little story. Thank you for sharing your story with us tonight, Rocky. So, hey, if you see her around, make sure you encourage her and tell her how much uh, uh, that story meant to you. Um, I got one other thing to share, and then we're going to close our time with Serenity Prayer, and that's this, is maybe you connect with that story. And thing that one of the things that jumped out at me was that she mentioned she didn't go to Open Share Group for a long time. And maybe that's you. Maybe that's, that's where you're at right now is... You struggle making that jump from this large group time into the open share group time. And I'm going to shoot straight with you. Open share group time is probably one of the most important things we do here on a Tuesday night. That's go into the rooms and hear the experience, strength, and hope of others. And so I encourage you, if you're questioning that today, go go tonight. And uh, if you don't know where to go, seek Larry and Adelina, and they'd love to help you find your group. So let's close our time with the serenity prayer. Uh, if you know it by heart, please do. If not... Just mouth watermelon like I did when I was in uh, elementary choir. <laughs> God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it. Trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will. 
so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever the next. Amen. Amen. First time guest right underneath the tent. Second timers, uh, see Larry and Adelina. They'd love to help you find a group. Um, love you guys. See you guys at dessert. Dollar dessert ice creams afterwards on the patio.